today's scripture reading is from Matthew 10, verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. One, two, one, two. We good? You know, I got adjusted to that Bronx, Puerto Rican level. Um, sis, I feel so bad that they made you come up here. So that one little verse, I could have did that myself. I feel horrible. I'm just going to put this to the side then because it doesn't seem to be leaning back. Um, oh, rescue. Nice. That's why you need skilled musicians. All right, I promise I won't mess up your notes, brother. No, this is complicated. I got a whole system here. There's tape, all sorts of stuff. Um, Let me just begin by saying this, that adjectives kind of mess up words. And I know that adjectives are words, but when we start adding stuff to things, they kind of like lose their meaning or their power. So like just saying thank you sometimes, like saying like I'm really grateful for you isn't enough. Like thank you. LMCC in, in, in the very sense of the word. We are grateful to God for your existence and for what you guys have meant. Like scripture tells us to let our light shine before men. Um, that LMCC light is shining. It's shining into different parts of the cities. And for that, I'm grateful for the your, your pastor, your leadership here, and just for the church and the way you guys come behind crazy knuckleheads like me who feel that God has called us to do difficult things in hard places. And without your love and support and encouragement and prayer, it would be really, really hard to do. So I love y'all. We fam. So I'm going to go in. Um, Now, the text is usually picked for a sermon depending on a whole bunch of different circumstances. Sometimes there's a sermon series. So if you're like us at, at Restoration, we preach through books of the Bible. So we always know what's coming up next. So when I'm asked to preach it, they usually let me pick my verse but this year for some reason um i was invited to the men's retreat and i just felt moved to ask pastor ryan like just give me what verse you want me to pick and i'll preach it the brother was still like in sabbatical mode he had a trucker hat on he he basically just says yo whatever and he shrugged so then i was like all right randy was working so hard like for the men, making sure everything was right. I said, let, let me reward the brother. Let me preach like his favorite verse. I go up to him and ask him, like, what verse do you want me to preach? And in true Randy form, he gives me a verse that starts, and you will be hated. <laughs> like the brother gave me a hard word to preach. So I say that because I want you guys to know that it is my deepest intent and desire to serve you well with this. Um, it, in fact, I, I, I titled the sermon the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit. The subtitle is making sense of a hard word because this is truly indeed a hard word. So um, I like to do this. I'm I'm just going to pray for myself in this moment. So if you would just join me and and then we'll jump right into it. Father God, I pray that you would uh, use my highly imperfect and faulty preaching to proclaim and declare your goodness and your grace in this moment, God. I pray that, um, Holy Spirit, that you would be strengthening and saving even as I speak, that you would stir the affections of all the hearts here towards Christ, our Lord, our King, and our good brother. We pray this in your son's beautiful name, Father. Amen. 
Amen. So um, to kind of best understand what is going on in this particular verse, and, and I'll read it again, you know, because it was fast. It probably went by you without you even noticing. Um, and you will be hated for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So to best understand what is going on in this particular verse, and what I mean by the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have to kind of go back to the beginning um, of this book, this, this gospel account that bears Matthew's name. So the book opens up with a genealogy. Genealogy just being a list of folks that, that are part of the family. And in this list, it, it included into it, it are five women of questionable character. And this always amaze me, amazes me, so just rock with me for a second. Um, we have Tamar, who pretended to be a prostitute. We have Rahab, who was actually a prostitute. We have Ruth, who kind of acted like one. <laughs> Yo, sis rolled up on money while he was sleeping and uncovered his feet. That story to me is amazing. We have Bathsheba, who although it's not mentioned by name, we know it's her because they mentioned the wife of Uriah. And that's there to let us know that she was an adulteress. And then we have Mary, who people were questioning her, her integrity and her character. They, they accused her of some sexual looseness. And I say all of this because I know some of the ladies are looking at me funny. Not to throw shades on the lady, but this does do something to kind of set the stage for what we're reading in that it reminds us that the sovereign God, the creator God, the almighty God delights in bringing broken people into his eternal home and his eternal family. So Matthew, very clearly at the beginning of this, is trying to get us to, to, to understand that this Jesus that we're about to meet isn't like anyone else that we know. So then Matthew jumps into, the, I, I, we can break it down like this. So Matthew's about the king. Amen? Say amen. Y'all can do that. Chapters 1 through 4 are basically an introduction to the king. They're telling you about his family, where he comes from, all of this stuff. Chapters 5 through 7 are the ways of the king. So if you have a red letter Bible like mine, that's that big block of red letters right at the, towards the front of Matthew. And that's the, the Sermon on the Mount. Then in chapters 8 and 9, we, we kind of get to see the king and his powers on display because this is the healing ministry of Christ. He goes around and he starts doing all this miraculous stuff. He starts telling people to get up, go over here. He starts doing all sorts of stuff. And then in verse 10, we kind of, we're, we're introduced to all the king's men. And, and we're given their names. And not only that, but we're given some of their professions. And, and this is to let us know that these cats are a lot like us. These are ordinary people who have been called by an extraordinary Lord to do extraordinary things. So we read that Jesus, right at, at 10, 1, and, and I know that was the verse, but eventually I'm going to probably read all of chapter 10 because I'm I just fascinated by the stuff, and it doesn't make sense if we just rip it from here, and we, we need to park it in his home, and we need to make sure that the terrain and the landscape is all good. We don't want to impose what we think on God's word. We want to let God's word kind of sweep over us. So in verse 1, we're told that uh, Jesus calls these guys to himself, so that means something you got to keep that in your head he calls them to themselves and then he gives them or he grants them authority power over demons and diseases which is interesting because he himself is the source of all this power over any type of stronghold 
He, he is the epitome of power, but he grants it to these ordinary cats. Um, so he calls them to himself, and then he grants them authority almost over basically everything else. Um, and, and we got to kind of like, I, I guess before I jump into this, I kind of have to make this distinction, and, and I would love for us to be clear about this, that, that Jesus is the one who does the saving. So what we're talking about is the work of salvation being accomplished by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why the, the cross is empty. That's why he jumped off of a tree to do the work, to get it done. But the witness of that work is left to us. We're the ones that have to go out and tell people about his goodness, his grace, his power. We're the ones that get to kind of like shine that light forth because that light broke into our darkness. So now we become image bearers in that we reflect his goodness and his grace to the world. We are all witnesses. None of us here is silent. Like one of my favorite little sayings is this. You don't get saved to sit. You get saved to be sent. We, we don't have the grace of God just move on us in such a way just to hold it. Like nobody eats something good and keeps it to themselves. You've ever been in a crowd where you try something good? What's the first thing you say? You got to taste this. So once we taste the grace, the sweet and savory grace of the king, we should walk to other people. We should turn around to those closest to us and say, yo, you need to taste this. We're called to be his witnesses, and that's kind of what we're seeing there. Um, we read that Jesus calls these men to himself, and he grants them authority over demons and diseases. Um, and we know that he is the one that does the work. The saving is all of him, right? He's the one that brings people from death to light and from dark to light. He does that, but we are witnesses to this work. Jesus then proceeds to give them a clear message, um, and the message is being to be brought to the house of Israel. He's very specific about this in chapter 10. And the message is super clear, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus is not only calling these ordinary dudes to himself, he's granting them authority and power and dominion over death. Um, death, because he, he says you guys will be resurrecting folks. Um, demons and diseases. But he makes it easy and plain by making the message easy and plain. He even tells them where to go. And at some point, he tells them how to go. He gives them the instructions. You guys go two by two. You go into these homes. Don't go into the Gentile homes. Go to the, to the Jewish homes. And when you go in, you go in my name. You do, he's very clear. He gives them bullet points in how to go um, expand, make disciples, proclaim, share the gospel. Jesus gives the instructions in all of this. We're not left to wonder how to do it. We're told how to do it. Now, being told simply and plainly doesn't make it any easier, though. You still have to get up and go. You still have to go knock on someone's door and, and say, I'm here in the name of the king. So there's a lot going on, and, and I want to just grant y'all permission to use your biblical imagination. Be one of the 12. See how that would make you feel. Place yourself in their position. Try to wrap your mind and your thought about what they were thinking of in the moment. Because I'm sure they were terrified. I'm sure this made no sense. I'm sure that they must have felt like they were on a roller coaster. 
Meaning, Jesus shows up. He declares to be all these things. He is all these things. He's doing all these crazy things. And then at some point, he calls you by your name, grants you power over demons and diseases. That must have felt like they were on a spiritual high, like a an emotional high. It was like going up a roller coaster and you hear the click clacking. It keeps going. It keeps going. Isn't that exciting? Everybody loves that part. But what happens when you get close to the top? Reality sets in. At some point, you know that what goes up must come down. So now this great exhilaration, this excitement is replaced with fear. Now it's not just excitement, it's this nervous excitement of not knowing whatever. And for some people, that could be crippling. So I want us to understand that these folks, they must have been in a really odd place at this time. And we know that because we would have been too. We would have felt much of the same that they were feeling in the moment. So they're going through these ups and downs. They're they're confused. They're trying to figure this stuff out. Jesus gives them this very clear message and, and, and this is where the roller coaster takes the turn in verse 22 when he says, and you will be hated. Like up until then, this was all good. I can walk around, I can cast out demons. I can heal my sick family and friends. But I'm going to be hated for it. That's not cool, actually. I, I, I don't want to do that. I mean, would you want to do that? Would you want to be given all of this power just to be told that you're going to be hated for exercising that power? No. Not if you're keeping it a buck. That's 100% in hood talk. If you're keeping it a buck, you don't want that. You'd rather pass that on to someone else because that is scary. Who wants to be hated for something good? For the right thing, willing to endure persecution, hate, for a good thing. That's a terrifying thing. So these brothers must have been feeling this right now. Now, um, Jesus also says there's a but, and, and, and God's but in scriptures are always good. The buts, like Ephesians, I think of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 4. My favorite but in all of scripture After we're told that this is our lowly state, we're told, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Like, those but gods, and every time that God comes in with a but, it's always something good. He tells them, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, we were just singing about abiding and bearing fruit. You know how hard it is to endure? The easiest thing in the world to do is say, nah, not me. I I don't want to be hated. I want everyone to like me. I want to say the popular thing. I don't ever want to say anything that might upset the system or might disrupt the way um, things are going because they're probably, for you, is going all good. So it's, it's hard to, to, to adopt a position that will eventually be hated. That Not only that, but you're supposed to endure and abide in that. You endure in the goodness and the grace of God. But abiding in that often leads to enduring the hate of others. Now, one is this eternal promise that you won't realize on this side of of heaven. It's waiting for you. But that already but not yet thing of the kingdom is a hard dance to learn. 
Because we got these great promises that have been made and we know they're good because God said them and he keeps his promises always. But we're supposed to live in this tension of trying to figure out how that works out practically in our lives. So Jesus, by telling and granting all this authority on these 12 guys, then getting them to this point where he says, and you will be hated for it. This was difficult for them to understand and, and to wrap their minds around. So what I want to do is just state this, that none of what I'm about to say, and this was a really long introduction, by the way, so the rest is fast. I promise you. None of this makes sense without the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I read that this week in a, in a very old commentary, and I can't even cite the person. That, that unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit is not mine, but I liked it, so I jacked it. I just can't tell you who I got it from. None of this makes sense without the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit. None of this will make sense without the Holy Spirit speaking into our secret spots. You know those places that you, you try to even act like don't exist and you know they're there? You ever try to keep secrets from yourselves? And there's a part inside you that you tuck those away in that nobody but God sees? We need the Holy Spirit today to speak into that for this to make sense. So my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would make this one thing very clear today. That, the, that in the upside down economy of the kingdom, the existence of God's goodness and grace is evident not in the absence of difficulties, but in the midst of them. So in the upside down economy of the kingdom, the evidence of God's goodness and his grace um, is made true by the fact that God doesn't remove the junk, but that he sparkles and shines in the middle of it. That although everything could be collapsing around us, he is with us, and he doesn't leave. So now we're going to look at this particular text, and we already understood that they have gone through this up-and-down emotional roller coaster. Um, and and I, I want to be honest, there's a point, and... If you've been in church for any time, if, this is, if you're new to church or you're just checking it out, this probably makes no sense. But for those who have been in it for a minute and have done the ministry dance, you ever had those things, those moments where everything in ministry goes super well? Like you see people get saved, like all sorts of stuff is happening, there's progress. You're on a, a, a spiritual high. Like nothing can get any better than that. Like the Lord is clearly moving and he's blessing and the blessing is evidence of his blessing like this stuff is popping off because god is blessing it and you are just flying it it, it is something it's adrenaline it's i don't know what it is but something happens inside of the human heart that when god starts to clearly do his work around us and it's plain to everyone we feel unstoppable like, you can't touch us. You can't mess with us. There's nothing that you can do that can impede this progress. The kingdom is breaking out. Amen. I'm being used by God. No one expects to ever crash from that high. No one. But here's the thing. Scripture is laced with examples of crashing. And I'm just going to use one real quick. Elijah. Elijah, I always thought was like the most gangster of all prophets. So in my mind, I just like him because he just does really odd, weird things. He's, he goes and he, so Elijah, let's, he shows up. He pops up on the scene in scripture like out of nowhere. One, I like that. You know, you never saw him coming. He, he starts to proclaim all of these 
great truths of God. He starts to speak prophetically and upset people. He is pissed off at everyone worshiping all these false idols and false gods to the point where he sets up a, a, a match, a fight between the false prophets and their fake God and himself and his very real God. So he, he tells them, yo, you, what we're going to do is we're going to get two bulls. We're going to put them out. I'm going to let you go first. You go pray to your God to bring the fire down and consume them. And then I'll do it with mine. The one that does it, who the one who gets lit the most, wins. So these brothers over here, they start asking for the fire to come down. And guess what? It doesn't come down. So they start to get a little more like, well, maybe we ain't doing enough to get this God on our side. So they start hopping around and dancing. After a while, they get to the point where they start cutting themselves and screaming. And they just break. It's like a Benny Hinn service. And Elijah stands there and he mocks them. He's like, yo, where's your God? Well, is, he, is he not there? Is he not listening? You cutting yourselves? He's, he's having fun with it. And then to show off, he tells them, all right, somebody get me a bunch of buckets of water. Let's pour it over the stuff. Let's, put, let's drench this and make it so it's almost impossible for it to catch fire. Then he goes, Lord, fire, and fire comes. Elijah has these dudes killed, which is a little harsh, I know. But he does. The Old Testament is, a, is, a, is odd terrain to deal with. Thank God for grace in Christ. Elijah's on a, a high. He just scored one of the greatest spiritual victories that any mortal man will ever, like, have the opportunity to, to taste. Like, he's on top. Then he gets word that Jezebel, the queen, isn't too happy with him. And she says, you let me be like those guys if you ain't dead by this time tomorrow. She threatens them. She basically puts a head out on Elijah. Like, let me be killed if you ain't dead by this time tomorrow. So what does Elijah do? The same Elijah who fights all these false prophets and screams down uh, fire from heaven from God, he runs. In fact, if you really look at it, he gets depressed. He runs as far away as he could. He, he brings his servant with him. He leaves him there. He goes off alone. He finds a lonely tree somewhere. And, and he just be like, and he just starts to pray. And he says, Lord, take my life. And he goes to sleep. That's crashing from a spiritual high. That's tasting the power of God one moment and then feeling the complete absence of his presence the next. And how does God respond to this? This is beautiful. He's all depressed. He falls asleep, right? Because sleep and now that, that stuff is a symptom of depression. When you ain't right, you just want to cuddle up into a ball and get up under the sheets and just chill. What does God do? He shows up, sends an angel to the Lord, and he taps him on the shoulder. Doesn't like scream at him, doesn't startle him. Taps him on the shoulder, and then Elijah opens up, and there's like hot bread right next to his head and a jar of water. And he tells him, eat, drink. Elijah eats. He falls back asleep. Another tap on the shoulder, more hot bread, more water. Then he tells him, you need to eat this food because the, the, the journey I'm sending you on is too strong for, to, to go on your own strength. 
Like God's mission can't be fueled by our power. We need some sort of supernatural divine power to give us the strength to go on his journey. But God is so gracious in that, that while he provided bread and living water for us in Christ, we have that extended to us too because you know that Jesus eventually popped up on the scene and said, I am the bread of life. And he is the living water. We don't run out of that sort of grace and provision in our times of, of confusion and unrest. Like whenever there's despair, despair for the Christian is always happening in the context of hope. And our hope and our hope is in Christ. Always. So this up and down roller coaster ride, it don't stop, fam. I wish it did. Because it would be a lot easier. But when you hit the bottom and you think you're alone, just be reminded that God is gracious. He will let you rest and he will provide food. He will give you drink. And he'll give you what you need to go on the mission. And this is what Jesus is doing here by telling them this thing. They just don't know it yet. He's telling them, that you will be hated. But the thing is this, Jesus goes, but don't worry, it isn't you, it's me. They're not hating you because of you. They're hating you for my name's sake. So they got to be something that's attached to the name of Jesus that inspires this sort of hate um, in folks. Jesus tells them that the hate is because of his name and for what his name represents. This name is the name above every name. His name makes everything and everyone bow down. This is Philippians 2, verses uh, 5 through 11. Like this beautiful thing is usually called like the hymn of Christ. The hate is coming because, check this out, Jesus' lordship is not optional. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read Philippians 2 real quick just because it's good. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is Paul exhorting his brothers to, to act and to be and to know certain things. Have this mind among you yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' lordship is not optional. And... If you go in his name anywhere, there's going to be some hate. Because no one in and of their, their, in their natural state is going to want to bend knee to anyone else. No, no one's going to want to bow down to anyone else. Yet scripture tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. This is that Job thing where God calls a meeting and everyone shows up. And then it says, eventually, Satan shows up. Like, where God calls a meeting and Satan got to show up? That's interesting. It's really interesting. Like, yeah, biblical imagination is a beautiful thing. This is how God rolls. 
It's this beautiful mystery that we're invited into and we get to do this dance. So Jesus says, don't worry, it isn't you, it's me. It's because of my name. Um, and, and this Jesus that we're speaking is one who's, again, his lordship, it isn't optional. You, you're going to bow down. You will bend knee. That's what God's word tells us. This is the Jesus that is speaking to these men right now. And this is the Jesus that through the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit still speaks to us today. By extension, we're hearing Jesus speak to us when we read this. That we are granted power, but we will be hated in his name's sake. This is the Holy Spirit's purpose. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to exalt Christ. So this is all going to tie together real soon for y'all. The Holy Spirit's purpose is to enable, empower, and embolden believers, i.e. ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. And when extraordinary people do extraordinary things, the name of Jesus is prayed And believers are strengthened while sinners are saved. And we can then now know, I'm sorry, what it's like to endure to the end and be saved. The Holy Spirit is is the one who enables us to endure, to abide, to not run. The Holy Spirit is the one that allows us and gives us the strength to persist and to remain. To sit down when everything in us wants to run. It's the one that allows us to stand up in the face of hate. So when people want to throw rocks, let them throw it. We can do that because the Holy Spirit grants us that. And it doesn't make any sense. It's a little unusual. I know. The the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit allows access to boldness, meaning you can't proclaim Jesus as Lord and then have a weak witness. I don't know if y'all got that. You can't proclaim Jesus as Lord, but then have a life that says something else. That's a weak witness. You don't get saved to sit. You get saved to be sent. You have to make this count, y'all. You got to make it count. And sometimes all you need is the story of how God and his grace moved on you and did this tremendously beautiful and powerful work in your life. Sometimes all you got to do is be reminded that you're already doing it like Pastor Ryan did at the beginning through the announcements. You guys are already doing kingdom work. Whether you feel it like you are or not, you just need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is moving and you're already witnessing. You can witness with your walk. You can witness with your wallet. There's different ways to do that. But you must witness because Jesus' lordship is not optional. Your knee is going to bend and your body will bow. So you might as well witness. Y'all with me? Yes? Y'all could be a little louder. It's good. Another way the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit allows us acts that... that, uh, One of the benefits of the unusual ministry of the Holy Spirit is authority. Like we can't speak unless we've been given permission to speak. By that I mean, I want you to be honest, please. And you don't got to like answer this back, but does any of this make sense to you? Without the Holy Spirit, this makes no sense. 
this sounds like a bunch of madness and good moral teachings. And then we can do the Thomas Jefferson and take out the parts that we don't like. And we can cut and paste the the deity of Christ out of scripture. But the Holy Spirit reminds us that Jesus is not only Lord, but he's king. And he's going to come back to set it. He doesn't come all passively, not like a weak and meek Galilean. He comes back on a horse with a fur and a tattoo on his thigh. Y'all read that one before? It's pretty good. It's scary. But it's true. So basically, and here we go. We're about to be done. We can't ask for access to the Holy Spirit's power if we're not going to submit to the Holy Spirit's purpose. And if the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus, and Jesus was obedient even unto death on a cross, who are we to have a seat when we should be standing up? You're going to hate me? Okay. I'm going to love you. That's strength. That's Holy Ghost-fueled power. The ability to stand up against what's wrong and for Christ's name. To say, our Lord would not be good with this. I'm not good with this. So I'm going to stand up, even if you hate me. This ministry of the Holy Spirit is all of devotion, dependence, and get this duty. It is up to us to pursue personal holiness. Remember, we don't do the work of salvation, but the witness is left to us. One of the ways that we witness is by living a life that is worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. We're never going to get there. I get it on this side of eternity, but the day will come when we have these glorious resurrected bodies and we be singing and everyone is shining and sparkling like ginger ale on a hot summer day, looking good. But until now, we let our light shine forth by the way we live. We pursue personal holiness. We fight for what's right, even in the face of hate. Now, I understand that this is hard work, but we're called to what? To endure it. And not only that, you're saved. I would add, not you will be saved, you are saved. Because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Nothing can snatch you out the Father's hands. If you're his, you're his. It's done. That's what he said when he jumped off the tree. It is done. It is finished. Whatever translation, ain't nobody adding on to the work of Christ. But we're called to witness it. And this is what he's telling these men here. You are my witnesses. You are my ambassadors. You are my men. We are his people, his witnesses, his ambassadors in the world. And guess what? At times, hate and shade will be thrown our way. But don't take it personal. It's not you. It's him. The world has a problem with submitting. And every time you say his name, they're forced to bow down. So there's going to be hate. So just the immortal words of Kendrick Lamar, sit down, relax, be humble. Just chill. Endure. You will be saved. Again, in the upside-down economy of the kingdom, the existence of God's goodness and his grace is evident not in the absence of difficulties, but in the midst of them. Let's pray. Father God, 
thank you so much for the way you work in and around and through our lives, Father. And I pray that we would embrace this unusual ministry of your spirit and that we would um, be bold enough to, to walk in faith, knowing that uh, hate will come our way, Father. Um, but you have made it possible to endure. You have made it possible to, to, to not only walk, but to witness and thank you for what you have done in us. And, and Father, we're going we're gonna to trust and continue to abide and to, to rest in you, God. And, and these are words that somehow have lost their power. Um, help us to trust you, God. Help us to rest in you. Help us to be secure in you. Father, I pray that this kingdom partnership that you've begun here in the city with all these different churches and all these different people, God, would um, serve to be a witness of your kingdom. We know how this ends, God, every nation, tribe, and tongue. So I, I pray that we would be uh, faithful stewards of the great work of salvation that you have accomplished and secured and set aside for us to walk in. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.